0: Welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders, inside and outside the sciences, share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Conner.
1: Howdy, folks. Hey, I've got a special double episode for you today. SAMPS presented their annual awards at Neuroscience in San Diego back in December. Like last year, I said I would interview the winner of the Young Person of the Year Award. At the same event, I also met the Support Person of the Year, and I thought, why don't I interview her as well? So here you go. Listen and be inspired by these two rising stars in life science marketing. Okay, my guest today is Ali Velaratne. He is the general manager of Redbox Direct. I'm going to let him tell you what they do in a moment. Also the recipient of this year's Young Person of the Year Award from SAMPS. So for those, congratulations on that, first of all.
2: Thank you very much.
1: And welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Um, For folks who don't know SAMPS, it's Sales and Marketing Professionals in the Sciences. And what it is really is a networking group and an educational association. It's meant to help all of us sort of elevate our game, whether it's sales and marketing started out in life sciences, has kind of spread out a little bit from there. And this is the second time they've given out these awards. Last year I interviewed Lily Elsner and this year I'm interviewing Ollie. And what I hope to do in these interviews is give young marketers, excuse me, or young scientists who are thinking about getting into marketing or sales stories to see the possibilities in their career paths which i think is relevant because i see a lot of people on twitter who aren't very happy in the academic world it's a tough world out there so uh first of all describe for us what redbox direct does because it's i think it's unique you must have some competitors but it looked pretty different
2: so first of all, thank you very much, Chris. Absolute pleasure to be here since we met in San Diego, and looking forward to this very much. And uh, thank you to SAMPS for organising the, the awards ceremony. I mean, it was a, a very humbling experience, surprising and humbling experience. So, uh, yeah, Redbox Direct is definitely unique. I mean, I can't say that there is competitors because what we do is kind of it's kind of a normal model put in a weird way. So, um, essentially, Redbox Direct is an outsourced sales and support office. So what we do is we represent life science instrumentation manufacturers in the European market. So, I mean, 95% of our clients are US-based, you know, there's a couple in Canada, primarily North America. But we've got some Asian as well, South Korea, Japan, um, and essentially what we do is we take care of all of their sales operations and support, of course, in the European market. So. The challenges that we try to overcome, you know, there's distribution networks that, that a lot of these companies have. Um, the problem with that is you don't have much control over who you're selling to. You don't have control over pricing. Um, you basically don't have much control full stop. So essentially, Redbox was born about 15 years ago. My um, my current boss and the, the creator worked in a, in a life science rotation company. So firsthand, he could see that there was a lot, of, a lot of problems with just doing traditional distribution. So his idea was to create this shadow company, you know, company, people don't know Redbox Direct in Europe, end users, researchers, they don't know Redbox Direct. What they know is our client's European office. So we give our manufacturers an office, uh, an address, a, a product manager, um, and essentially a base in Europe so that they look like they have and they essentially have. Um, you know, presence in Europe so they can better assist their, their customers, they can better assist research, um, you know, we're the first point of call for any sort of support, but of course then we're a business so we do all of the sales from from generating business to managing business, attending trade shows, which is where we met, um, and all that kind of stuff. So, um, Redbox model is this managed office model where we have a dedicated product manager for each manufacturer. And then we also have a smaller subsidiary called Greenleaf Scientific, which is the traditional distribution. There's no, for example, in Greenleaf, we have 12 different suppliers. We don't have any contracts between them. We can sell as much as we want or however much we want. And you know it's one salesperson who's actually dealing with all 12 suppliers. Um, So that's the kind of models that we offer at Redbox. And uh, the main way we're different is that People don't know Redbox. We're completely open. We pride ourselves on how open we are. You know, our pipeline is is our manufacturer's pipeline, our client's pipeline. We show them everything. We don't hide anything. They control pricing, everything. Uh, we try to be as, as honest as we can. Uh, and I think that's probably where we're slightly different to the usual model.
1: Yeah, no, that's very cool. And I don't know a lot about distribution, um, but I can see from going to your website that, I mean, you have a couple different ways you work. I'm not going to dig into all those i definitely recommend people check it out um but i'm curious in your background so you're an engineer by training yes absolutely have some experience in the aviation industry which i think yeah is, i'm i watch a lot of aviation videos on youtube sadly mostly about crash analyses just yeah it's always I'm sort it's, of fascinated um well anyway <laughs> <laughs> I I'm fascinated how people figure out what went wrong. Yeah. In, in, Forensics you know, always in, in that sort of thing. Um, and just good YouTubers who do a good job of things. Having said that you are the general manager of red box direct. Mm-hmm. You just told me you're 27 years old. And I yeah. just told you that when I was 27, we don't even talk about <laughs> where I was in my career, but, um, so what are you responsible for?
2: So um, essentially what I do, we have a team of five salespeople um, across four four units, so to speak. So we have three Red Box clients um, with four different product managers. So they're the managed office clients. Um, and basically one of those clients has two European product managers because of the business volume. And then we have an extra salesperson who greenly scientific, like I mentioned. And then we also have a marketing person who who basically works with all all of them on different marketing schemes and whatnot. So my role essentially is to manage the sales of all of these people from, I mean, I hire all of them, I train them, and then I manage them. Um, um, You know, I do kind of business planning too. So for example, one of our newest clients, it was a different prospect to what we're used to. Uh, They had business in Europe 10 years ago. Uh, and because of the lack of representation in Europe, it fell off the board entirely. So they came back to us, and they were like, "Look, this is this is the mission. Here, we want to get back to where we're at." So I kind of plan out the tactics, essentially, well, how we might get them up and running again. And there's different tactics, you know, your existing your customer base, general lead mining, etc., cetera, etc., cetera, trade shows, whatever. Um, so. That kind of thing is is where i would come in i give these people ideas and of course i hire them i train them and i mentor them to the point where they start to come back with ideas that's the ultimate goal is that they start to be self-sufficient after a year or two and they get a good grasp of the role and like what else we could try out and of course i mean you've got to be all ears for that kind of stuff that's when uh, that's probably the happiest moment is when they start to come back to you they're self-sufficient i mean they're never fully self-sufficient because there's some things greater than them uh, in terms of, of problems but um so beyond that then beyond the, the general sales management kind of thing um, i'm also involved with client relationship management we obviously have quite a lot of clients and we want to make sure that we're doing the right thing for them we want to we don't want to ever assume that what we're doing is right or or that we have complete power we are an arm of their business we're not we're not our own business and i um i'm, I'm kind of there to, to keep the the channels of communication open at all times, and I mean that's brilliant too because you learn a lot from these people living in the, the industry for many, many years, and um, and I get to I get to see with them and bash heads and find new ideas or present our ideas and and whatnot. So I also have some financial responsibilities. Again, like I said, it's a business. of all, I know we are helping research at the crux of it, but you know we need to make money. So I have um, you know profit and loss and, and counting responsibilities, which all, I mean, it all comes with sales, you know, if one's going well, the other should go well too. Um, And then also business development. So you met me at neuroscience. We were out hunting for new and great suppliers. Um, And honestly, it was a really, really successful show. I think the recent climate in the world, plus, you know, Brexit and whatnot. I think people are kind of looking for for new distribution and it was good timing. So um, that's in a nutshell what I do as a general.
1: Yeah. Wow. Okay. So that's impressive. So... First of all, you took over this job in March 2020. I don't know if anybody remembers what was going on right then, but um, that was <laughs> the exact yeah. moment the world shut down. So, how, don't take this the wrong. Way. How did you get this job? Like, so then you were 24 years old. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So you couldn't have been out of college very long. Engineering degree, great. How did you learn all the things you needed to know about sales and marketing to prepare you for all the things you just told me?
2: So I finished college in 2017. Um, I'd always kind of done people facing little small jobs, you know, promotions and even in in the aviation job, it was a marketing job, but I mean, it wasn't, it was, it was loose marketing. I was 15 at the time, as you can imagine. Um, it wasn't, it wasn't anything too serious at 19 at the time. Um, But essentially, I came into Redbox as the salesperson for one of these clients. I was hired as a product manager. Um, And again, the the founder of this company has been in the industry for 30 years, has been doing sales for as long as that. I came into a very, very well process driven and very well um, established sales company that has really simple sales techniques that anyone can learn. You know, we, we never hire salespeople. We hire scientists and we teach them sales because there's an easy way to do it. As long as you can talk to other people, that's 50% of the battle. The rest is kind of just simple ways to direct them. So I worked for uh, one of our clients for two, and two years and four months, I believe, as a salesperson. I mean, I absolutely loved it. Like I said, you're selling research equipment. We're selling solutions. We're not selling problems. We're not a door-to-door sales sales company we're, we're going to find researchers who could genuinely benefit in our in our in our equipment and, and the company i represented were from toronto i learned a lot from the way they did business too you know they they were the kind of guys who would uh who would support you um and if if your product wasn't the right one they encourage you to could point you point the, the customer or the end user in the right direction because you know we believe in good karma a good salesperson you know in, in two three years time if they need your stuff they'll remember the good service you did so Basically, for two and a half years, um, I learned sales, I learned the industry, I kind of learned you know, how to, how to talk science and, and the kind of processes that were in place before my time. I'm uh, being completely honest with you. I never imagined myself as a manager at 24. Um, I never, uh, the, the job itself was actually offered to one of my colleagues before me. Um, and I'm extremely lucky that he was about to go on his pre COVID pre-COVID planned year trip around the world. Um, and this was a couple of months before COVID was a known thing. So he gratefully declined. Um and I got I got know, yeah, I got the offer second. Um, you know, he had a couple of years more experience and I guess that's why. But in the end, there's a happy story. He didn't get to go on his year-long travels, but we rehired him as a marketing and business development guru. And honestly, it was uh, one of the best decisions we made because, you know, we were a, we were a fantastic team. He really, really understood science. He didn't understand marketing, so myself and him we used our extra free time during COVID to learn marketing because we were salespeople. Um, and that's kind of how we came about. Then I mean, I got the job through a little bit of good luck. Um, but you know, my favorite thing is luck is when preparation meets opportunity. And, uh, I was somewhat prepared. I can't say I was fully prepared. I never imagined I'd be a manager managing a team of, of I was three sales people at the time, plus this marketing guy. Um, and yeah, you kind of just learn as you go. So COVID was actually a really interesting time to, to learn the job. As I said, it was kind of four main things, right? There's sales management, which is your daily, your monthly meetings, your weekly meetings, kind of just the general stuff, measuring data, whatever it is. Then we had the client relationship management too, which was which is a different thing, the financial responsibilities, and then also hiring, training, and mentoring. Financial responsibilities were kind of taken away from me because sales were low, but we had the government grants to help us pay salaries, and one of our biggest overheads is travel. So all of that was gone, and kind of the little bit of sales. I mean, sales were down about 70% the little bit of sales we made kind of went to the bottom line and we survived. I mean, we definitely didn't thrive, but we survived and that's all that mattered. We could give these people a salary um, and, and whatnot. So that was kind of nice to have me focus on learning the sales management side of things, you know, getting my, my own tracking abilities up and seeing what matters and, and developing plans for people, especially during COVID when, so when we hire people one of the best things is it's a traveling job you know we're hiring young graduates and we say you're going to go see the world and then COVID comes along you can imagine they're kind of disgusted They're like well half of my job is going to be on the road going to all these beautiful cities in Europe so I had to find new things for people to do to keep them interested and that was definitely interesting too because again you know when we hire people I don't we always ask, you know, in a, in a team project, are you the kind of person who leads? Or are you the kind of person who follows? And I certainly wasn't the kind of person who led back then. I mean, I was definitely a team player, but I wasn't the person who would be the proactive, you know, uh, plan maker, et cetera. So I kind of just fell on my feet, being completely honest with you, Chris. I mean, I never expected that I would love what I do so much now and how much I've learned over the last two years. I mean, I, I just, I really love it. And I can't wait to do more with growing slowly but surely. But I mean, it's really, really exciting stuff. It's rewarding as, as it is challenging.
1: So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's awesome. I mean, it's it makes me happy to when people find a thing that they really like. I mean, I've had, I have one of those jobs now. I've yeah. had a couple of those jobs in the past. They weren't all in science. <laughs> but when you find, find it and you drop into your groove, it's pretty cool. So talk a little bit more about how you and the other person who um, you hired back learned marketing i'm just curious when you say we did that because i you know i learned it through podcasts and other stuff and i had been a marketer before um yeah without honestly similar to you had when i got my first marketing job i'd never worked in marketing before that's kind of obvious but I never, <laughs> when i first became a marketing manager i'd only worked in marketing for a couple of months okay so, um and I, I was blessed with a very good team. Let's put it mm-hmm. that way. Um, but how did you go about figuring out like what you all should be doing?
2: Yeah, absolutely. Um, I mean, I was also blessed with a, a very a great team too. Obviously, on the sales front, I had guys and girls who I mean were just they just they were never they kept me motivated as much as I kept them motivated. You know, they never complained in such a tough year uh, and whatnot. So. Marketing for us, I guess, is slightly different to what you do. I guess, you know, you do content development, you do podcast interviews, etc. We're kind of more the digital marketing side of things in terms of, you know, the Google AdWords, you know, running analytics on the websites, um, uh, doing mailers where you try to, you know, try to curate these lists of really relevant people and, and, and basically whatever. So. I mean, that was easy. The Google Ads side of things, you know, Google Google have resources for absolutely everything. You could do a quick quick course, and, and we learned what we had to learn. We didn't have to learn the intricacies. The beauty of it is you could kind of try, try and fail, and try again and fail and refine, etc. So that's kind of how it went for Google Ads. Uh, but then the other side, and again, where my good friend, who uh, I would give all the credit to in the world, he's by the way currently doing his year travel around the world. So he finally got there. Um, so he again was very good at the proactive outreach when he was a salesperson um and essentially what we did for example we would find these really really relevant leads and list of leads and we would email them for example over six weeks you would email them once a week and then you can kind of track who opens that mailer or who clicks on it or whatever and we give that list to the sales people and we tell them like this person is probably interested They've clicked a few times give them a call don't tell them that you know they saw the mailer you just you planted the seed and you just say hey i'm calling because of this and we always do pre-research um again my friend once again set up a very big process which was a, a pre-research in our world um publications are the main currency for researchers and, and they give you all their information of exactly what they're doing so we only ever call people we think we can genuinely help so um, one of the big marketing things we did was before you pick up that phone you better know everything about this person's research and you call them for a reason and Researchers love talking about what they do. So if you pick up the phone, you tell them, hey, Chris, I know you do this and this, and you recently published this. Look, this is what I do. Be interested in talking more. It worked quite well. So, um, yeah, we took whatever courses we had to, and we figured a lot out by our mistakes. I think that's usually how it works out. I'm sure you you found the same as a a marketing manager with only two or a couple of months experience. You make mistakes, but you learn from them.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, I can tell you, like, you have to stay on top. I'm not an expert at Google AdWords, but my experience there, which you must have done, is you have to stay on top of it. I mean, because yes, it can absolutely. get away from you. So, you, if you're going to start it, you got to analyze it, figure out what's working, and exactly. correct it. Yeah. Even if it seems to be going well, you could be spending way more than you need to, right? I exactly. Mean, so, good exactly. on you for figuring all that out. Um, Tell me, I mean, you already described what you love the learning in your job. Let's go actually back because now you're meeting with um, representatives from your clients who I presume have been in the industry, as you mentioned mm-hmm. a long time. Yeah. Describe, you know what that, what that's like. Cause I'm imagining there, they come into your office or they get on the phone with you and go, what? <laughs> but, <laughs> obviously you're keeping up and you're getting a lot out of it just yeah. that relationship
2: so once again i gotta give credit to my team uh, like the, the creator um of this company is is still he's the ceo currently and um i guess the the dynamic we have is he's a, a 30 years experience guy who's been in the industry um who knows exactly how everything runs and then i come in with the more the sales side of things you know the sales tactics and the marketing tactics and all that kind of stuff so the marriage between that is when we first meet a supplier you know my manager will, will talk to these people and, and you know tell them it's the background he has and obviously that builds trust straight away if that's someone who's had 30 years experience in the industry you can trust that this person kind of knows how the industry works and then then you know a lot of these manufacturers they're more preoccupied about manufacturing good equipment you know they don't really think about sales that much they always assume for the most part that they have a good product it'll sell itself you know and that's always the kind of problem uh, it's a good problem because that's where we come in when they realize it is a problem <laughs> um so it's i mean i'm still learning you know i went mean, from from life science instrumentation sales to all of a sudden service sales i'm selling a distribution model that very much like you chris until this show in neuroscience i didn't really know what the benefits of our distribution over other people's distribution was because i've never worked in a manufacturer i've never dealt with distribution problems i've only ever worked for Redbox and i've only ever worked at greenleaf and i know what we do i don't know what other people do properly and, and i've learned now a little bit um so again that's what i mean there's learning at every corner i've gone from selling research products to end users to now selling a, a a sales service to manufacturers and both have their own challenges, but the beauty of sales is overcoming those challenges and getting the win at the end of the day.
1: Yeah, no, that, that sounds like fun. And, um, as you mentioned, and I think you can never hammer this home enough. Like there's nothing that sells itself.
2: Yeah.
1: Yeah. (laughs) How good do you think it is? And if you think it can, or it is a little bit, then you can certainly do more. Um, so that's, a good thing to understand and then mm-hmm. just your willingness to learn about that and I'll just point out to a lot of companies like the making the shift to digital
2: mm-hmm.
1: has probably taken longer than companies thought and yeah. having people who li- sort of live in a digital world is there's value in that as well and understanding how things are sold and how buyers buy now and and mm-hmm. all of that yeah and, absolutely understanding how the industry works, as you mentioned from your boss, also hugely valuable. Absolutely. Um, Tell me what you like most about your job.
2: What I like most, I mean, I've gone from, I've gone from a position of helping researchers to do their research, to helping people get a job, grow, and do their job the best they possibly can. I absolutely love, I mean, I love helping people. Everyone comes to me if they have a problem, and all I'm doing, honestly, as a manager, all I feel is I'm a a problem solver, a problem remover, so that they can do the job they were hired for. And I love it. I mean, I love that part as well as training and hiring people I train them to a certain point and then, you know, all the engine is purring, you got sales, you know, everyone's working well and you've got everything. It's like it's like teaching teaching someone to fish rather than giving them fish, you know. I've gone from yeah. being a salesperson to teaching them what I used to do and, and just try things, you know. we've got a really good way of training people and making them grow that you know, it's a very well-oiled machine at at times, you know, it's an up and down thing. That's the challenge. It's, it's, it's when it's bad, you got to find things to do when it's good. You got to just keep going. So, uh, yeah, I think absolutely just being there. I mean, I, I've, I'm 27 years old and I can give people jobs and I can give them opportunities to grow. I mean, I I love that. I love that aspect entirely. Um, and then I also love sales. So I get to have five salespeople instead of just myself, which is fantastic.
1: That's really cool. I mean, the lesson there that I mean that's the nugget for this whole conversation really that if you help other people do their job things are going to go well for you right Exactly I mean, Exactly and maybe not everybody thinks that way but I mean the rising tide lifts all boats to Absolutely another Absolutely Last question what's the maybe the last question what's the most <laughs> valuable thing you've learned you know in your time there
2: Um, I think for me, no matter who I'm dealing with, the right way to go about it is being collaborative. I don't think no matter what it is, no matter what position you're in, below, above someone, work as a team with whoever it is, if it's one-on-one or anyone at all, the best way to get people to open up to you is being a team player at all times. I mean, you know, never feel you're too big for a job or too small for a job. No matter what it is, I'm always there to help. Even for the smallest, you know, spreadsheet filling to whatever it is, I'm there to help. And I think, uh, you know, as a manager, the the less you think yourself as a, a manager and the more as a, a helper, I think then that's where you're going to see some success. I think that's what works for me. And I mean, I just love doing it. I don't have to try, which is which is really great. You know, I've I've really good people to work with, and it's an absolute joy helping them to do their job. Nice. All right, I'm going
1: to end it there, Olivier Ollie. Yes. Thank you so much for this. This is um, You certainly deserve the award. I mean, I'll just say you. that. I mean, Thank but, you very and much. And it's clear what, how how that happened now. Um, and um, I wish you all the success in the future. I'm going to put a link to your LinkedIn profile. Please. Um, so people can connect with you. And I'll put a link to Redbox Direct in case people want to understand a little bit more about how you all work with your customers. Because there are certainly people listening to this podcast for whom you might be worth a conversation with
2: yeah and i'm open to absolutely anything um so chris i mean thank you so much for giving the platform it's the first time i've ever done anything like this and it's been an, a, a, I mean, a, a really a really great experience you're a, a great guy i really appreciate what you're doing as well and sponsoring yeah. the Sam's awards i'm looking forward to the next young person of the year interviewing
1: <laughs> year from now yeah. stay tuned yeah. thank you so much
2: thanks chris have a great one
1: This seems like a natural place to remind you to subscribe to the podcast if you haven't already. And I'll also throw this out there. With AI text and images taking over the world, how do you know who wrote what? One way to know, for now, anyway, is to see a person or listen to a person sharing their thoughts in a video interview. If that's something that's important to your business, I can probably help. There's a link to my calendar in the show notes. Now, let's dive back into part two. My guest today is Ashwarya Vishwanathan. We're going to call her Ash. She is the support person of the year who got that award um, from SAMPS at uh, the Neuroscience meeting a couple weeks ago. So first of all, Ash, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio.
0: Delighted to be here, Chris. Thanks so much for the invitation.
1: And we're going to talk about your job and the award you got and sort of how that all fits together. You know, my goal here is to be helpful to younger marketers. I think people's career Mm -hmm. paths are interesting, Mm -hmm. and particularly now a lot of people who went into science are looking around, you know, for mm-hmm. options, yeah. you're a product manager at Stolting, and you got the support person of the year award from Sam's. First of all, tell us what Stolting does. What part of the life sciences are you all in?
0: Of course, um, so Stolting is a company that deals with neuroscience research equipment and software, um, and we do all of these products that cater to preclinical research as well. And our major customers would be people who are scientists in different universities, going on from Ph.D. to postdocs. Yeah.
1: And you, I looked at the website. You all have a mm-hmm. large range of products. So I'm guessing you're not responsible for all of them. Uh-huh. If you are, yeah. congratulations. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Yeah. So when you work with rodents as your animal model or even certain larger animals, you need a way to navigate to certain regions of the brain. And you would have something that we call the atlas of the brain, which has these specific coordinates, which would be regions of interest for people who work with these animals. So they would use the stereotaxic, and there's a vernier scale on each of the axes and they would use that to kind of navigate to that spot. Um, and the whole range that you see there is for people working with different rodent types, even maybe mice, maybe rats, maybe both of them. Um, if they're working with pigs or monkeys or different animals, they have different models and all with like different levels of automation and everything around that.
1: Okay, so the stereotactic it sounds like it's a device that gives you uh-huh. a mapping of the brain or other parts of the nervous system, is that f- so people can manipulate a certain part or?
0: Yeah, that's exactly what it is. So people also use serotoxic, for, for example, working on the spinal cord. Um, so they would do surgery on their rodents or animals. They would open their skull up to see the brain, or they would kind of give themselves more visibility um, of the spine.
1: Got it. Got it. Okay. So that's that's helpful, so you are a product manager, but your background is uh-huh. um, microbiology and immunology so first of all, mm-hmm. how did you you know find this position and then talk mm-hmm. about because there's a bit of and all of us in life science have a broad sort of education generally, but there's a leap from microbiology to neuroscience and So how did you get this position? What were you looking for?
0: Of course. Um, That's the beauty of science these days, I suppose, that everything has become so multidisciplinary in the first place. Uh, But the way I landed this role would be very, very different. Um, I've kind of been into research and in the lab for a good part of my education even when i was doing my bachelor's degree i had a specific project going on on the side which was completely researched so i would be in the lab after school hours just to kind of complete that project um and the way i landed this role is to be a good product manager you need to be able to talk to scientists And when you have been in research for so long, you develop that lingo and you develop some sort of scientific understanding. And that foundation really helps you make conversation with people, identify the gaps um, and really help them. So you're now seeing science work in real life, which is the fun part of the job.
1: Yeah. I mean, honestly, if I'd known that when I finished college, that might have made a (laughs) huge difference in my career as well. I mean, um, and, and honestly, it's what I enjoy about this job is talking to scientists and marketers about what they're doing. But you kind of identified the key question, I think, for a product manager. I'm not an expert, but asking people about their problems and identifying the gaps. So absolutely. talk about your day to day. I mean, you're responsible for the product life cycle and mm-hmm. obviously figuring out what features are we looking to add or accessories or whatever describe kind of the things you do
0: and mm-hmm. um, so on a day-to-day basis um to simplify this i act in a way as a liaison between our team and the customers and um, it's like a complete cycle so I would talk to customers, I would understand what they're working in, their research, see what they need, and talk to them more about that. Um, I would identify the kind of products that could be useful, or even for existing products, what improvements we could bring on. And then I would communicate all of this with my team of engineers and development officers in just that whole process. So it's a complete cycle um, and then I would, again, put forth all of these new products or improvements with customers, see how it's going to work for them. And it doesn't end here, right? Once customers have bought your products, you also want to see that they're able to use them for long. Um, so in a way, make it all future-proof as well. So on a daily basis, it basically involves talking to a lot of people, to so talking to people in the company, talking to customers, so really just pick up the phone and talk to so many people. I would be in meetings all day. I would be down somewhere for training. I would be attending a conference, which is how we met Chris. And so that's, that's kind of what my day to day looks like.
1: So it's in my experience, it's not necessarily common to have, I mean, are you also the primary person responsible for the support of those products?
0: I would be here in Europe, yes. I work, of course, with um, a logistics team and a marketing team, and they would then kind of um, give these efforts more shape. But as a support person, if people need like a refreshers training or if they have basic tech support queries, they would come to me first because I would have been their primary point of contact. Um, and then I could lead them to other people who would have information, or I could try and dig in myself. Um, and that's the thing I feel is every time you talk to a product manager, there's going to be so much diversity in our roles, depending on what company we're in, or what products we're handling, um, or even what field we're in. But even in life sciences, it's just so so different. Like I handle two sections for toxic and software. And the way I would work on these would be very different.
1: Yeah, it sounds like it. So I was going to say it's not been my experience typically that the product manager is also the primary support person, but yeah. it makes uh, a lot of sense in the, in mm-hmm. the fact that if people are you know need to know more about how to use it, you should be. Generally aware of how that works, but also when they have that's how you're going to discover some gaps like, oh, if we could do this, that would make this person's life easier. And that's really
0: exactly the job, exactly.
1: Also, just an interesting thing I mean, from observing um, product managers and talking to a few of them on this podcast, um, it's a great way. I mean, if people go back and listen to my episode with Steve Koolish. Uh, to learn a lot about different parts of a business. And so Mm
0: -hmm.
1: it is a position that seems to me, tell me if I'm wrong, very amenable to a new graduate and also very valuable to those people. So it's a job that new graduates can take on and makes them well prepared for moving to other parts of the business.
0: That is very, very true, Chris, and it's a great observation. Uh, For myself, I landed this role right after my graduation, just a while after my graduation. And it's my first formal job, uh, which is great. And I get to learn so much about all these different functions because in a way, I'm working with this really dynamic, uh, multifunctional, very well-rounded teams of marketing, logistics, operations. And there's a lot of sales involved. Um, so it's definitely something that helps you learn about all these different kind of um, tiny parts in a company, but it's also something um, that would be a very good fit for a person with experience and who've done bits and parts of all of this in a company. So you're you're absolutely right there, and that's exactly how I feel about it.
1: So you may have sort of already answered this, but what do you like most about your job? I mean...
0: Um. This is going to be very cliche, but what I love most about my job is that no second day is going to be exactly the same as the previous because it's so dynamic. And just being in the field of science as well, science is ever evolving, and you need to be ready to adapt to that change and to cater to the changing needs. Um, no two customers I talk to are going to be the same, and every time we're trying to innovate something different, we're talking to different people, we're collaborating with different people. Um, you know, it's it's a whole different process involved each time. So that's kind of the fun part of the job.
1: Yeah, I wish people. I may have said this before on other interviews. I I wish I had known about this type of job when I was leaving college <laughs> because. My challenge in graduate school was that everything moved so slow. Not that I was, you know, a gung-ho, get-everything-done researcher by any means. But that I can tell you that 20 years after I left graduate school, I visited my old professor, and he could update Mm -hmm. me on the projects that were going on the lab in two hours. Like, which would seem like in 20 years, like... (laughs) <laughs> you could, right? But if you t- a product manager, this is the cool thing. If you love science, but the research is too slow, it feels better in a position like yours where you're talking to a lot of different people doing all kinds of research. So you're getting, you're satisfying that curiosity every day instead of over oh, the course of multiple
0: years. <laughs> Absolutely. I think for a lot of researchers, and I really do admire people in academia because um, they're all there doing their own research, passionate about this one question that they're trying to find an answer for. And as they go on, there's probably more questions than answers, which is absolutely amazing. But at a point, I I definitely wanted to also test the waters with the business side of things. Um, And even during school, I was a menace. I was always this really talkative person. And to know that a role could really be benefited by communication and by just getting the conversation going, it was very interesting to me um, to dive into this role as a product manager.
1: All right. Since you mentioned communication, I'm going to take a little side trip here. Tell me about, I saw on LinkedIn, you were the communications manager for Pint of Mm -hmm. Science. What is that? (laughs)
0: That's a very good question. Um, So Pine of Science is a non-profit organization here in Ireland. Um, It's also in other parts of the world. Um, So once a year we would do this event where we would bring science to the public. That's kind of the goal of it. So it's a once a year event and you work on it throughout. Uh, But it's scientists coming to pubs and places where the general public would be and talking about their science in a passionate and very fun way, Uh, because not everyone has the opportunity to maybe visit a lab or even to kind of um, know about the various subjects or be aware of what's going on around them. Um, And it's a very, very interesting way to kind of talk to people about science, encourage more people to come to science um, or just help them understand what's involved.
1: Now, I think that's extremely important, especially now, um, to to learn about not only science, but who scientists are in a relaxed atmosphere of a pub, as opposed to, <laughs> um, you know, well, I interviewed recently uh, Peter Hotez here in the United States. That interview is going to come out, not on this podcast, but... From, well, by the time this is out, it will have been out on Chemical and Engineering News. Um, okay. And he's, you know, he's been developing vaccines for COVID, non-profit vaccines
2: mm-hmm. to
1: um, distribute to other countries.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: but he's constantly getting hammered, and he talks a lot about this wave of anti-science. I don't know if you all are experiencing it in Europe, but it's certainly okay. a big thing here. Um, and how dangerous it is. And mm-hmm. so just the opportunity for scientists to, or the public to meet scientists in a pub and mm-hmm. they, let's have a beer and tell me about, you know, not only what you work on, but who you are and what you care about and find out that exactly. these people are the same. I, um, I interviewed somebody um, in San Diego several years ago.
0: Uh-huh.
1: They have a similar thing. It's called Two Scientists Walk Into a Bar, and they... You know, every month, I think, they have one night at a bar where two scientists will show up and answer questions. And and if they don't know the answer, say, I don't know.
0: That's it. That's very true. And it speaks about the importance of... um, People in communications and how they should really be aware of the science, uh, because when COVID nineteen came up and then when there were vaccines, there were so many questions around: How could vaccines be developed so fast? Is it all true? Is it really going to help? Um, and my parents are still back in India and. I had to have daily conversations with them, um, explaining to them that this is how it can be developed so fast. And this is really how it can be helpful, because there is so much news around saying vaccines could really harm you um, and it's not helpful. Don't take it. And there's, of course, all this negative talks about science. Um, and it's really important to tell people um, that research is based on something. It's based on experiments and it's based on numbers and facts. And to just help people believe and kind of come towards what's logical.
1: Yeah, I mean <laughs> it's just not possible that scientists have are coordinated enough to have some hidden agenda about what goes into a vaccine. But, <laughs> moving on. Um, uh, What's been the most difficult part of your job? It's not all rainbows and unicorns, I am sure.
0: (laughs) Of course. Um, When you have to talk to so many people, especially scientists, I think the most difficult part of my job has been getting them to talk to you. Because scientists are very busy people, to be honest. Um, And to kind of get the conversation going, or just getting it started, is the most difficult part. Um, So you really have to inform them that you're here to help and you're not trying to sell them something and it's very useful in that regard when you do customer visits and when you're actually going down to someone or when you meet them in conferences and you really listen to them now scientists are also very passionate about what they do so once you get the conversation started it's it's easy. They're on because they're going to do the talking, and you can do all the listening, which is also a very important part about communications or just a conversation. Um, yeah, but that's that's kind of the most difficult. I remember the first week of my job when I was being trained, and uh, an important part of my job is to stay in touch with people I deal with. And for the first five days, I could not get anybody on a call because I was trying to call all these numbers and just try to introduce myself and say that hey I'm the new person here in Europe and I'm here to help Uh, but of course kind of organizing that beforehand and dedicating some time to them and listening and going down so it's all those efforts in the start that's absolutely needed uh, before you kind of establish your own network.
1: Yeah and I sort of imagine that might be the challenge is getting a scientist to pick up the phone because I know how sort of when we were in the lab, we would not always look forward to the sales rep walking in the door um, you know leave some leave a brochure and we'll look at it um, which of course, when I got to marketing, I realized also no one was looking at the brochures but um so what advice would you give to scientists looking at? You know, younger scientists looking at career possibilities.
0: And um, the best advice I could give them is it's not important to stay focused right from the start. Um, and for me, the Indian education system is very helpful that way that you're not necessitated to choose very early in your education path where you want to be and. Um, you could try research, see how it works for you, but there's also many other fields out there. Um, the Indian education system, in a way, um, is is more like you do education and then you start working and there's no going back. Um, it was a culture shock to me when I came out that you could take a break and then you could also do other things. But I realized how helpful it is to actually explore and kind of go into all of this, talk to people, see what they do. And your first question there was very interesting, and I hope it's helpful to other people. Just ask them how their every day is at work and then kind of, you know, get into something. It's not really necessary to decide and be focused right from the start.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's the exact advice I would have given myself if I could go back 45 years. Um, cause when I got out of college, having studied molecular biology and I loved it, but I'm looking around thinking who's going to hire me. Um, cause the biotech industry was just getting started, but I thought, Oh, certainly not. You know, I'm not like those guys. I'm not, you know, that far advanced. I probably could have gotten a job, you know, as a technician or something. And, um, but so I went to graduate school thinking, you know, that was necessary. And then that sort of locked you into a path. Um, mm-hmm. But now I realize. And that's just because that's the world we live in, in science education. And there isn't or wasn't a huge amount of exposure to all the other ways that people use science in their day to so. day. Exactly. All right. Well ash this has been fantastic i appreciate um one your willingness to come on and enthusiasm for people i didn't say this at the beginning of the show so i interviewed ollie last week who i met at the Samps awards and when i (laughs) introduced myself to ollie he was having a conversation with ash and i thought all right let's get both of these fine young folks on the podcast (laughs) so thank you so much for for doing this
0: and thanks so much for having me, Chris. It was so fun talking to you, and I definitely hope it's helpful to people who listen.
1: I'm sure it will be. Thank you. That's going to do it for this episode. After talking to these two, the future of life science looks bright. If you like the podcast, you have a few colleagues who I am sure will like it also. Please share it with them, and I will be back soon with more episodes. Bye-bye.